Well, we are in that week of leading up to Thanksgiving. And as we come to this week before Thanksgiving, I, uh, I sought out what message I could bring that would express thankfulness. I thought about preaching on just being thankful. Um, and uh, I prayed over preaching on the danger of being thankless. I kicked around the idea of, of talking and looking at family, but none of them were just right. Instead, this morning, God has led me to speak on that for which we should be most thankful. You know, I, I don't think Barry looked at my notes this week before he put the songs together, but I'm sitting there singing these songs thinking, wow. I couldn't have picked better songs myself. I couldn't, have, I couldn't have put this together in a more appropriate way. I originally wrote some version of this sermon almost 25 years ago. Um, I dust it off and revise it probably once a year to, to share with someone around me. And I wrote it because I was challenged one time with a question. I, I had a, a pastor look at me at a, if it was a conference or, or a youth event or, or what it was. And he said, if you had just one verse that you could share and preach for the rest of your life, what would that verse be? What is it that you would share? What is it that you could preach on and continue to preach on and feel fulfilled each and every time? And it's that verse and its message that I am most thankful for every day of my life. And I found it appropriate that God would lead me here again today. And my prayer is that if you don't know Jesus this morning, that this sermon may express to you fully the truth found in our text. And if you do know Jesus this morning, my prayer is that this sermon would, again, bolster your feelings and your thoughts and your faith to the one who has provided such a blessing. Because our text this morning is one that we pretty much, even if you don't go to church, may have heard and you know by heart. It's a description beyond description. Uh, it's called the gospel in a nutshell. The very first Bible I was ever given after I was baptized was a student Bible. And in the student Bible, this verse was highlighted and it said, the gospel in a nutshell. Martin Luther called it the heart of the Bible or the gospel in miniature. And that verse, of course, is there in John chapter 3 and the 16th verse. And you know, I, I don't know that I know how to say it any other way than the King James. I've got the HCSB here, but it's so hard because I know it as, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him or believeth in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life or everlasting life. Um, let's pray this morning as we start. Father God, we come to You right now and we thank You and we praise You for Your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time and use it for your glory. Father, we ask that you would use me as a vessel this morning. Father, may the words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you do. And we ask these things in your name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. As I come to this verse, and as I came to this verse 25 years ago, 25 years ago, I wasn't very old. I've told somebody today that I was getting old, and I was told that I'm still not old. I think the white in my beard is beginning to betray that. But, you know, 25 years ago, if you do the math, how old was I, Carrie? I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> 17 years old. I was 17 years old when this sermon was first written. 
And as I read this and I saw it, and as I picked apart this one verse, and, and in your notes this morning you'll see that I, I really did, I picked apart this one verse. Because as this verse starts, it says, for God. Now God, I would say, is the greatest lover. Now, you can read throughout history and talk of great lovers, the, the world, that certain names will always come to mind. There's Romeo and Juliet, which I would argue with, but that's another story. Casanova, there's Don Juan, there's Red and Scarlet, the great love stories. We've been shown pictures and, and of great loves all through literature and movies, and we could argue all day long about who the greatest lover is. But our answer in those times will always come up short. There's always going to be something missing because no one has the capacity to love as God has. For God, the Creator. For God, the One who speaks and it is. For God, the One who provides, the One who upholds, the One who moves within us, the One who holds the world in His hand. That God, for God was the one who loves us, it says, for God. Let's notice that this specifically verse says that God loves us. Not a creation, not another little g-god, but that God loves us. He's it. First John 4 says that God is love. Who better to love than the one whose very nature is love? Who better to come and show us what this means? God is the greatest lover, and He showers His love with blessings that we can only imagine. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He only loves us. For God so loved the greatest degree. Children and adults um, play games of degrees. Young lovers do. Me and my children do. If I said... To Shiloh, hey Shiloh, guess what, buddy? I love you. He's usually going to say back what? I love you more. No, I love you more. I love you the most. I love you. You shy this morning or what? You're not shy up here. Infinity. I love you. I love you. We may play this game of degrees. I love you more. And often we go into our degree of finding love. Who loves who more? Who's hungrier? I'm hungry. Man, I'm hungry. No, I'm hungrier than you are. Oh, my back hurts. My back hurts more than yours does. We play games of degrees in our life, right? We do all of these things and we say, this is how bad it is. This is how bad it is. But it's, it's that infinity that usually ends the games of children and young lovers. It goes higher, though, with God's love, higher and deeper and longer than anything we've ever known. It's the greatest degree, not because of butterflies. We start talking about love and we say, oh, for, for God so loved the world. And we think of love and we go, oh, love. People say they fall in love. If you're falling into love, it doesn't sound like a very great place to be. How do you fall into love and then fall out of love? Because if I've fallen into love, I'm in a lower place than I was when I started. So if I fall from somewhere lower than I already was, we're going real bad. So God here, he so loved us to the greatest degree. It's not butterflies. It's just not this feeling of, ooh, I'm warm all over. It's not the special feeling. In fact, it has very little to do with emotion. God's love is the greatest degree because of its scope and its action. God's love is the greatest degree because He loves in the greatest way. It says here, so loved. 
The one thing I love about the HCSB here is that it says, for God loved us in this way, basically. For God loved the world in this way. It's not about how much. It's not about Him loving me more. It's about the way that He did it. For God so loved the world. The world. Now, we probably all have a very short list of people we actually love. Right? Let's be honest. We're in church. Let's not tell lies. Do you love everybody you come into contact with every day? You're supposed to, but do we? No. Not the butterfly feeling. Not that idea of, oh, they make me have warm tingles down my spine. But God loved the world. He loved the greatest, the highest number. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter where you've been. Doesn't matter where your scars are. It doesn't matter what your sins are. What we have to realize is that this verse does not say that God so loved Israel, that God so loved Christians, that God so loved whites or blacks or Asians or South Americans or heterosexuals or homosexuals or Republicans or Democrats or Baptists or Methodists or any other division we split ourselves into. It says, for God so loved the world. The world. Everybody. Everybody who ever lived and who ever will live. The word here literally is cosmos, the universe. There's not one person on this earth or anywhere else, if you believe they're out there, that God did not love and does not love. The scope of God's love is deeper and longer and wider than any other love we've ever seen. And that fact upsets some people. Some people don't want God to love people who aren't like them. Oh. You mean God loves them? Yeah. I, I probably should have told the committee this before they brought me in front of you. But um, Eleven, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Sunday, 12, 13, 14, 15. A Sunday, I think it was a Sunday. I think it was the 16th, 2001. I was pastoring my first church there in Brownwood, little bitty church. Um, and I stepped in to the pulpit that morning and I led my congregation, my 23-year-old self, to pray for the salvation of Osama bin Laden. For God so loved the world. That makes us uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable. Because he did some despicable things. But God loved even him. And that's hard. The highest number. You can't love any more people than God loves. We don't want some people to be eligible for God's love. But no matter who they are, he loves them. On the cross that day, Jesus was between two thieves. One thief continued to hurl insults at him. Guess what? He still loved that thief. They still had as much love for that thief as he did for the one on the other side who said, Jesus, I just have one request. Remember me. Remember me. Please. I deserve to be here. 
I deserve to go through this. I know that I have what's coming to me, but Jesus, when you get there, remember me. That, that amazes me. He had nothing. Jesus is dying on the cross next to him. But Jesus still loved him. And he says, guess what? This day you'll be with me. This day you'll be where I am. God's love is the greatest degree, not just because of its scope, but also because of its action. For God so loved the world that he gave the greatest act. God gave throughout history. He gave his name to Israel. He gave them the promised land. He gave them kings. He gave them his love. And he gives his son. He didn't have to. He could have found another way. Now, I know some people want to make this this thought of, well, blood had to be shed. Yes, I agree. But I surely think that the omnipotent creator of the world, the greatest lover, could have found a way to save the world without this gift, but he didn't. The fact that God gives it all makes this an amazing story. It's his son. Now, there are certain things we can think we know that as a, 20, as a 17-year-old when I wrote this, I did not understand it. But now that I am a parent and I look at the pew at my son, I understand the gift. I understand what's going on. He gave the greatest gift he could ever give. He could have changed. He could have, he could have given up. But he gives and he gives freely. The most painful story in all of Scripture is there in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's there. Jesus is crying out. He's saying, Daddy! If any other way is possible, don't make me do this. I can't. I can't, Daddy. I can't. But if you want me to, I will. But if I need to, I'll go. He was under so much pressure, he sweat blood. And his father looked at him and said, Baby boy, I love you, but you got to go. They need you. They need you to do this. They need you to walk that walk. God gave in an act that was never before matched. And never again will be matched. God gave. He gave to the world. He gave to me. He gave to you. He gave to everyone out there. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. The greatest gift. I've always found it funny that we give gifts on Christmas, but we hide eggs on Easter. Now, I can go into a theological treatise on why we would hide eggs because they were looking for Jesus. That's a whole other sermon. The truth is, Jesus came into the world at Christmas, and that's why we celebrate it. And the wise men gave gifts, so yes, we do too. But the greatest gift wasn't the baby in the manger. It was the man on trial. It was the man beaten. It was the man on the cross. It was the man in his mother's arms after he had given his last breath. It was the man in the grave. The greatest gift was the life-giving blood of the only begotten of the Father. The special son given for us, the greatest gift given on that day, the only begotten given for every sinner on this planet. Even if you don't accept him, he was given for you.
people always ask about my views on weird theological things. But a gift is still a gift, whether or not it's received. Now, somebody could give you a gift and you never open it. It doesn't mean that gift wasn't given. The gift was given for everybody. Everybody has a chance. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, whosoever, the largest invitation. You ever been invited to a party? I haven't. I mean, you know, I'm a, nobody wants to invite me over. I don't know. It, 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 Shiloh has. He's been to two parties since we've been here. Shiloh's been invited to a party. It's hard to get invited to the White House, right? Some invitations are hard to come by. Not this one. This is not a hard invitation to get. God, through his gift, has offered the greatest invitation. The largest invitation ever known. It's not to the elect. It's not to the chosen. It's not to Israel. It's not to Christians. It says whosoever. God isn't picky. One of my favorite parables is the parable of the banquet. And the king says... Okay, invite my friends, and none of your friends show up. Okay, well, invite my next group of friends, and none of them show up. And so then the God says, the king says what? Well, invite everybody. Bring in the homeless, bring in the sinners, bring in the wretches of the earth. Let them come to my banquet table. God's invitation is so big that everyone can come. He loves the world, and he would that all should come. Sinners and saints, Jewish and Gentile, all races, all beliefs. He wants them to come. Whosoever will. It's the world's largest invitation given through the world's greatest act. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes. The simplest requirement. Believes. Who here can believe? You should all raise your hand. Uh, uh, that, it, this is not a, a trick question. Everybody can believe. There's no process. There's no rules. There's no certain prayer that blows some people's minds. <laughs> you don't have to say a certain prayer. My favorite salvation story was from a woman that I knew over in Proctor. Her, her dad had been the pastor of the church. Her brother had been the pastor of the church. She had taken every course Moody Bible Institute ever gave by correspondence. She was one of the smartest ladies I ever knew. And I was sitting in her living room one day and she said, Troy, here's something that I know. I never said a prayer. I never said the sinner's prayer, Troy. She said, I remember I was about eight years old and I was walking to the water pump because she didn't have indoor plumbing. She's walking to the water pump and she said, I got out there and I began to pump water and I just knew that I was saved. I just knew that I believed. I just knew that I was his. I had surrendered. It doesn't take a certain prayer. All it takes is belief. It's simple. It's not hard faith. Not works. Anyone can accept because anyone can believe. Children can believe. Actually, sometimes adults have a harder time believing than children. Because they can believe also if they try. It's just the way it works. It's not <laughs> whosoever knows our doctrines and policies. It's not whosoever gives 10%. It's not whosoever doesn't sin. It's whosoever believes.
the greatest simplicity, believes. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him, the greatest person. I'm trying to watch the clock because I could probably preach an entire sermon on those two words, in Him. Jesus, the greatest person. Sinless, perfect, loving, compassionate, a friend of sinners, a hero to the downtrodden, the Almighty, the Alpha and the Omega, the living Word of God, the author and perfecter of our faith, the bread of life, faithful and true, firstborn from the dead, the great high priest, the true vine, the way, the truth, and the life. I could go on and on and on about Jesus all day long, but you can get the point. Jesus, the greatest person who willingly accepted His destiny upon that cross, in Him... For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish. The unequaled deliverance. We deserve death on a cross. To be beaten. To be mocked. To be led to our place of execution. To be crucified on a cross. We deserve that lake of fire and brimstone. We deserve the sulfur. We deserve eternal separation from God. But God provides on that cross the greatest deliverance. Sometimes we don't get that. We are spared from the torture. We have slates wiped clean. We will not perish. It's amazing. The book of Revelation tells us something. If you're born once, you die twice. If you're born twice, you die once. That's what it says, right? It says, and all those whose names were not written in the book of life took their part in the lake of fire, which is the second death. We're spared from that. God has delivered us from our punishment through the punishment and death of His Son. He is able to deliver me. He is able to deliver you. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but... One word, but... The greatest difference... It's one word, it's three letters, it's but. But changes everything. It's a funny word. It almost always negates what you've already said. You know, those are some of the original... um, Arguments Carrie and I would get into when we first got married, right? Well, I really tried to do that, but nope, nope, nope. You didn't. You said but. You won't perish, but you aren't going to perish, but. I love you, but. You're a great person, but. No, I want to, but. Here it negates the person that we used to be. It transforms a sinner into a saint. It changes our lives for the better forever. But in this case is the great difference maker. It's the greatest difference. Without the but, we're simply delivered. But isn't the end of the story. But there's more. You know my Billy Mays, right? Remember? He would do those commercials. No, 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 no. But there's more. If you'll call in right now, but there's more. If I stopped right there, what an amazing story. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish. Woo! Yes! But there's more! You shall have eternal life. 
changed life. A new creation. A new chance. A new reward. But is a great word in the life of a changed sinner. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have. Another one word phrase. Have. The supreme certainty. One of the first questions I was asked by the committee here was how do I know that I'm saved? How do I know that I'm going to heaven? And I pointed back to this verse as one of my verses. Because he says, I have eternal life. Doesn't say I will have. Doesn't say I'm going to receive. It says I have it right now. And if I have eternal life, it can never end. Everlasting life can't stop. Because if everlasting life is everlasting, there's no stop to it. I can't lose my salvation. I have the supreme certainty. If we believe, we have. No questions, no doubt, it's ours. We have in this verse the greatest certainty of all times. Certainty that God loves us, He's gifted us, He's delivered us, He's changed us, and He has given us eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I don't like that word. I like the King James word. Everlasting life. It's one of those times where I'll go back to the King James because I like it. I mean, you know, it's a theological point for me. Let me explain why. I usually don't do this, but let me do it anyway. Eternal means no beginning and no end. But I was created in my mother's womb. My life began. Eternal life for me begins when I accept Jesus. Therefore, my life can't be eternal, but it sure can be everlasting. It can go on forever and ever and ever and ever. It's the greatest possession. We have treasures, things we love that we wouldn't want to give up. I have a bed at my house sitting in the garage storage closet because I don't want to sell it. It belonged to my grandpa. It's one of the only things of his that I have left. And I'm never going to use it. It's going to sit in the closet gathering dust, but I cannot bring myself to sell it because it's a treasure to me. But eternal life with God is our greatest possession. We have it with certainty. It's ours. It starts now and it never ends. We can be different. We can change. And we can, as the psalm says, dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, this morning, as we look towards Thanksgiving, where do you stand? The love of God is all around us, and it's shown to us in the cross. It's one thing that we all have that we are most thankful for if we believe. Have you believed today? Maybe this morning you haven't. Maybe this morning for you, there's been something holding you back. It's the great thing about being in a new place. I don't know any of you from Adam. So I don't know what your walk of faith is. So I can say to you, if you don't know Jesus, it's time to know Him. It's time. You can't know the thankfulness that goes along with John 3.16 if you don't know Jesus. Because it changes your life forever. Maybe this morning, you've been walking a hard road and you've been going, what in the world? What has following Jesus actually gotten me? The ends don't meet. I can't pay my bills. All these things are going wrong. But if you know Jesus, you have eternal life. And that trumps everything. 
It trumps everything. Because it doesn't matter what happens here. It doesn't matter what's going on because Jesus will walk with you through those times and bring you to where you need to be. Maybe this morning you want to pray. The altar's open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to surrender to missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church in membership. Maybe this morning you want to rededicate your life and say, I want to follow Jesus anew and afresh today. Now's the time to do it. But if you don't know Jesus this morning, if you've never taken hold of the hope we have in John 3, 16, make today be the day. But wherever you're at, whatever you need, give it to him. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you. We praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time, Father, and use it for your glory. Father, let no need go unmet today. Allow us to all come to you and lay our needs at your feet. Father, we thank you and we praise you. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and for his sake. Amen.